people who make their living in the bush are among the most susceptible to Lyme disease. That's just a plain fact. They spend their days out there tromping around, guiding clients, plotting GPS points, or even planting trees. But how informed are they about Lyme disease prevention and diagnosis? Do they know the signs and symptoms? On this podcast, we'll head deep into the backcountry with the BC reforestation expert and talk about preparedness and knowledge. I'm Sarah Cormode, and this is Can Lime's podcast, Looking at Lime. Tim Chida said he can't quite pinpoint exactly when or where he contracted Lyme disease, but he's been fighting this battle for over five years. Chida owns a reforestation company in northern British Columbia, and therefore he's at higher risk working in the outdoors. After his diagnosis, he traveled to Germany and the States and spent over $300,000 in the process of regaining his health. Tim is committed to making sure that other people in his industry are knowledgeable about the dangers of Lyme disease and tick-borne illnesses. He joins us now from Smithers, British Columbia. Hello there, Tim. Hi there, Sarah. How did you first learn about Lyme disease? I remember hearing about Lyme disease when I was in my early 20s. And I remember the, uh, it was the Lyme, Connecticut stories that came out. So that's, that's originally my first remembering of Lyme disease without any idea that I'd ever have to be exploring it to this detail and end up having Lyme disease. So how did you find out that you had Lyme disease? I found out that I had Lyme disease. I was one of the few that it, my test came back with the Western blot as positive. But I really inadvertently got tested because at that time, I really had very mild, mild symptoms. And I was taking my daughter for a Lyme disease test because she was having some symptoms. And I was aware of Lyme disease at that point. So I took my daughter for the test. And at the same time, uh, I did the test and my Lyme disease came back positive as being exposed to Lyme. So it wasn't until after I had a positive Lyme disease that a number of years later that I ended up starting to exhibit a lot more of the symptoms of Lyme disease. So that was a really big indication that Lyme was potentially some of the causes of that. So I I really feel fortunate because through all of my treatments and how, how much I had to go through, I had a real lead into understanding what was happening with me. And I've met a number of people from around the world that they haven't been so fortunate. They've had to go through uh, numerous doctors, 20 and 30 doctors and numerous tests and really have to push hard to get that, the testing done, even to start approaching Lyme disease as a diagnosis. So I felt very lucky in that sense that uh, my, my Western block came back positive right from the beginning. Well, that's so interesting, because my next question was going to be about how hard was it for you to get a diagnosis here in Canada? <laughs> yeah, very, one of the one of the few, and met so many people with Lyme now that are even currently having difficulty for doctors uh, and, and Lyme diagnosis, because a lot of it is still clinical diagnosis, and especially if the Western blot doesn't come back as a positive, a lot of doctors will just write that off as you don't have Lyme. But when you start looking at different Lyme testing through the world, I don't. Be- I, I believe that 
that there's much more accurate testing, and especially when you look at some of the testing in the States. And then in Germany, Armin Labs, as an example, when you start looking at some of the PCR testing and the availability of different tests out there, I just feel that we probably have to go out of country to get the most appropriate and accurate testing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I know for myself, I chose to travel outside of Canada and paid out of pocket for my own medical expenses. Was that your, your experience also? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder about that often, how people could possibly afford to, to do treatment in the sense, especially when you're going to spend that amount of time in the States. I did... I did three months at a clinic in the States, but I also did a number of stem cell therapies in the States. And I did something called uh, a hyperthermic treatment in Germany, did two, two rounds of hyperthermic treatment in Germany. And, you know, in total, I'm well over the $300,000 mark for treatment at this point. Hey, your math and my math add up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, many, many moons ago, I spent two fabulous summers planting trees in northern Ontario and northern BC. I honestly don't ever remember having any ticks embedded in me or crawling on me back in the early 1990s. Uh, are you seeing many ticks in the forests and the cut blocks that you're working in nowadays? No, we're actually not seeing any more ticks than we have. Now this depends on the region where we work as well. When we start going south, I would say south of Kamloops or south of 100 Mile House, that there's a lot more ticks there. And fortunately for us, partially by design, we don't work that far south in British Columbia. But so, you know, in the region, uh, Kamloops, and 100 Mile House and south from there there are a lot more ticks but i'm not seeing more than i've ever seen and myself i've never had a bullseye rash or have i ever seen a tick on me in 36 years in the bush and ironically it was until uh, a number of days i think it was only five days after i finished my treatment in the states that me and my son and his best friend and his best friend's dad we went camping the four of us went camping for a couple nights that was the first tick I've ever seen on me in all the years working in the bush. That is such a strange coincidence. <laughs> so the answer is no, but it doesn't change the process or protocol because knowing, knowing that and knowing how impactful Lyme disease was to me and how consequential it was to me, you know, we have, we have very serious um, process and protocol for our Lyme training. And then also what we do, if somebody does have a tick, even walking on them or, or on them. So when we do our Lyme, our, our tick checks at the end of the day, just to be able to keep that tick and to label it, and then we keep it uh, frozen. That way, if there is any indication of infection, bullseye rash, or any other symptoms, then we have that tick available. And then that tick can be sent away for diagnosis, which would give gives people, would a real heads up on the potential uh, consequence of some of those infections. I'm so happy to hear that you have those protocols and processes in place. That's amazing. I think in order to be in the bush and me to go through Lyme disease and the, the struggles that I had with that, 
and just be feel blessed that was able to afford it and come out of that knowing how consequential that is you know if if we have you know the potential that there is any infection and we have a way of having that diagnosis up front especially so if we can get that tick analyzed if there's an embedded tick then coming back to knowing what that tick carried would be such a leg up on treatment and fortunately we haven't had an embedded tick for a number of years now so since we've put that in place that we've had to, we've not had to go down that road but we have had a number of ticks crawling on people so there there certainly are ticks out there oh it's great though that you catch them before they become embedded in in anybody so your industry includes employees who are harvesting the small trees at the tree farm these people are often migrant workers it also includes the tree planters who are reforesting the land in the cut blocks. How can we do a better job of protecting these employees who are working in the natural resource sector? I think even starting with what we're doing and you're doing right now is bringing that awareness to people that there's a consequence to Lyme disease, that it, that it is impactful, and that we can be very preventative by just having a really strong tick awareness program and a Lyme awareness program. That's, that's step one. But culturally, there's not enough awareness, even in the medical field, to say that, hey, we, we should be really cautious with Lyme disease and with ticks. And I think if we had, you know, just more general awareness towards how serious Lyme disease could be, that's, that's a step. And I'm seeing more and more that companies and, and, and our association, and as well as the licensees, we're all very aware of this. And so even in Lyme awareness in the process and our standard operating procedures, we have licensees asking for that and asking about that uh, as an industry. So there is a lot more awareness towards it in our industry than there was even five years ago. Oh, that's so great to hear. What information should employees and first aid attendants know? Well, employees and first aid attendants need to know, first of all, that ticks are uh, in the environment that we're working and that we have a tick awareness and their tick awareness program to identify, first of all, to look on their selves and, and do their own self search at the end of a workday and also have a buddy self search at the end of the workday if we're in high tick areas. Then identifying the ticks and knowing what type of ticks they are because each tick has a different level of potential for carrying Lyme or in this case, Borrelia and you know specifically more to what what the bacteria of Lyme. So I think that's important for first aid attendants to know, but also then how to remove the tick. It's really important to remove the tick properly so that you're not squashing the tick or squashing some of the the, the gut uh, contents of the gut um, into yourself if the tick is embedded. Removing the tick, then that uh, not just discarding of the tick. I think it's so important to make sure that first aid attendants and companies as policy know to hold on to those ticks. Because if there's an embedded tick and you have the tick and there's a bullseye rash or an EM rash, then that opportunity to send that tick away and understand some of the infections or co-infections could make such a huge difference into the future if Lyme's uh, uh, contracted and, and you're able to have some idea of a best course of treatment. So keeping the tick is a huge next step change that I think that we have to do by pattern in the industry. That's a great protocol to establish. 
Are you aware of any training opportunities for forestry workers around Lyme disease prevention, awareness, and first aid? Well, it's really interesting because there's so many different training processes that we go through as an industry. But I'm not aware of something as an industry training process directly other than what we do internally in, in within our own company. But also, we have had lots of conversations as groups around Lyme and Lyme awareness and, and, and tick awareness. Uh, but I, I believe still at this point, companies have their own training rather than you know, and do that individual as individual companies rather than collectively. So I think there's there's certainly room for that to be developed as of yet. You and I are in BC, so this question is specific to our province, but how do you see organizations like WorkSafe BC play a role? Well, it does come down to the training and the training. I think it's a little hampered by the acceptance of Lyme and the awareness of the consequence of Lyme disease, and that's exponentially becoming much more into the mainstream consciousness as in, in industry right now. I, and I can see that awareness coming in WCB, through WCB, through our association as well, and then just through the conversation and the sharing of uh, operating procedures between company owners and between companies. So I think uh, WorkSafe certainly has a role in that, but tying back to the training that you're just talking about, that would be a place that WCB could be much more um, influential for us. And have you had the opportunity to advocate and discuss these safety issues with people in your industry? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In, in, in summer, we have, uh, we didn't this year because of COVID, but we do have uh, annual meetings with some of the licensees and the contractors with those licensees. So this has been a conversation uh, on, on the uh, agenda for a number of years now in a row, just the around tick awareness and around, around Lyme awareness. So it has made, there's been leaps and bounds, I'd say over the last five years of awareness in the industry and of awareness in the industry as companies and, and, and companies work. Success into the future. I think it's, it's something that I've been exploring and been exploring with other researchers in, in Alberta and British Columbia. But some of the things that working on right now is looking at vector-borne illness mapping. And so I think success would be, first of all, bringing to the awareness that Lyme disease is out there in the environment, and but it's just not isolated to Southern BC or to the island, that Lyme potentially Borrelia within black legged ticks is in Northern British Columbia as well. So there's some interesting studies being done on vector-borne illness within uh, northern BC and northern Alberta. So understanding, a be- getting a better understanding of the mapping of vector-borne illness in British Columbia, um, Alberta, and across Canada, I think that's, that's step one. Uh, the other thing, the next step I think would be really fascinating is if we could move to uh, real-time PCR testing on site to understand that if there is... Uh, Lyme disease out there. How could we identify that quicker? And then a protocol that could be adopted for acute Lyme exposure. Because right now, I think one of the big concerns is, unless you're with a company that has a high level of awareness towards the potential of Lyme disease, it's going to change your attitude towards treatment. So even now, 
we shouldn't have to be educating doctors on acute treatment or their different approaches to acute treatment, or if Lyme disease is accepted as a real issue, consequential or not. It would be nice to go that we had a more accepted industry treatment towards acute exposure. And so that would be if you have an EM rash and or symptoms, you know, that there's consistency around how we treat that. That is amazing. Well, I just want to really thank you for your time, Tim, and really for your leadership and advocating in your industry, because uh, this interview with you is really just one of the highlights of the great work that is happening in Canada. And I hope it just builds momentum so that we can keep doing more change and, you know, ultimately save the quality of life for families and people across Canada. Yeah. And I, I think the more we speak about this and are aware of it, you know, the more comfortable you are being out in, in nature and being out there in the wilderness for both recreational and for work. I'm still in the field 90% of the time through the summer, um, having Lyme disease and knowing I can recontract this doesn't change my exposure risk out there, but just the more and more that we can share processes to be safer and to be more aware of potential acute treatments and you know, what we can do in making sure that we save those ticks so that, that we can have them analyzed so that if we do have exposure. So being aware of that doesn't stop me from being out in the wilderness. Both of my uh, kids are both in tree planting and they're both out there uh, tree planting right now as well. The more that we bring that awareness, the safer we can be. And I, I know that the fact that I've had to battle through Lyme disease for five years, and how horrific it was, uh, it, it is a very much less than fun and dis- disabilitating uh, illness. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I had the resources to work through it and be treated for it. But it, it was absolutely incapacitating. And for me, I moved from the ability to run a 500 person company to the inability to buy broccoli at the grocery store. That's how consequential it is. So having that experience and knowing that that's how uh, disabilitating it is really gave me that real passionate drive to start sharing, even in podcasts like this going, let's just keep bringing the awareness out into the field. Let's look at the policies and procedures that we can do collectively together for education, and then look at some standard processes for acute treatment, and then what we need to do that if we have exposure. So all those things together in conversation, as we do, there's a a huge group of us through the association as well, through the Western Forest and Contractors Association, there's line training there. And there's there's sharing of policies between companies. There's uh, the, the licensees are very aware of the potential of Lyme. So wanting to see that we have good line protocol in place. There's a huge shift that's happened in the f- last five years. So just let's just keep doing that and keep sharing this story um, because it's, it's really, um, it's, it's very preventable as long as we have the awareness that that Lyme is consequential and it is in Northern BC. Yeah, you really nailed it, Tim. That's exactly it. We want people to still go outside and enjoy being outside, work outside. We just want them to be informed and know how to stay safe. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you for uh, for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it.
that's another podcast. I was so inspired to hear about their first aid protocols and how they're changing safety procedures within the forestry industry. Thank you for listening. Stay safe in the outdoors.